I V M. Many years ago, I was hanging out with a friend of mine in an industrial park. His name is Narendra, and he wasn't at that time the Prime Minister of India. So we were just shooting the breeze, talking about girls and cars and all the books we'd read. I mean, all the books I'd read because he isn't much of a reader. When suddenly it started raining. I love the rain, and this change in weather put me in a mellow mood. Isn't this lovely? I asked Narendra. Yes, it's very romantic," he said as he reached out and touched my arm gently. "I could really do with some chai and pakoras right now." "I can organize the chai," I replied. "But where will we get pakoras from over here? No one here sells pakoras." When he heard that, Narendra got very serious. He thundered, "No one here sells pakoras. That is preposterous. This must change. I will change it." Welcome to the seen and the unseen, our weekly podcast on economics, politics, and behavioral science. Please welcome your host, Amit Varma. Welcome to the seen and the unseen. Before we start today's episode, a note from our sponsors: If you love art but find the work of top Indian artists too expensive to buy and hang on your walls, here's a solution. Hop on over to IndianColors.com. Indian Colors is a company that licenses the work of top Indian artists and adapts it into objects of everyday use, including wearable art like stoles and kaftans, home decor like cushion covers and table runners, and accessories like tote bags. This allows art lovers to get fine art into their homes at an accessible price, and artists get royalties on sales, just like authors do. The artists whose works you'll find include luminaries like Samir Mondal, Vaswex Vaxwo, Brenda Miller, Shruti Nelson, Harain Vakil, and the brilliant Dhruvi Acharya. Do check it out at IndianColors.com. That's colors with an O U, and use the code IVM20 for a twenty percent discount. Remember IVM20 at IndianColors.com. Colors with an O U. And now on with our regular programming. My guests today are my good friends and regular guests on the show, Vivek Kaul and Shruti Rajgopalan. Vivek and Shruti, welcome to the show. Hi, Amit. Hi, Amit. Vivek is here with me in the studio, uh, while Shruti is connected to us via Skype. The topic for today is pakoda nomics. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Yeah, pakoda, not ra. Pakoda. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's my Bengali next step. Right? Yeah. I mean, you can even call it bonda nomics because bondas are more famous south of the Vindhyas. But that's so. not the word Mr. Modi used. Yeah. So uh, pakoda nomics um, is inspired by a recent quote from our Prime Minister Narendra Modi. Here's what he said: "Quote: If someone opens a pakora shop in front of your office, does that not count as employment? The person's daily earning of rupees two hundred will never come into books or accounts. The truth is, massive people are being employed." End quote. Now. It's true that some massive people like me are indeed employed, but leaving that aside, I had a hard time trying to figure out just exactly what Mr. Modi was trying to say here. So, Vivek, what was he trying to say? Uh, so, basically, you know, what I think he was trying to say is uh, that we need to differentiate between employment and jobs. Okay, uh, it is not about creating jobs as. Uh, you know uh, we tend to argue over and over again but it is about creating employment and i think that's a valid point i mean uh, uh, 
the second point that he was perhaps trying to make is that you shouldn't expect the government to create jobs for you know around 1 million indians who are entering the workforce every month and for around 8.4 crore indians who need to move uh, be moved out of agriculture so that ag- agriculture becomes economically feasible uh these were the two points that he made and his solution was that you know anyone who's sort of selling pakoras uh, on on the street or anyone you know is selling anything uh, for that matter on the street because pakoras are just incidental here is also making uh, money and that is uh, adding to the employment uh so uh, but i think uh, you know that something like this uh, shouldn't have come from the prime minister of the country at least so before we move on i want to take a really layman's approach to this this episode and ask you to elaborate on your point about jobs and employment hmm. what do you mean jobs and employment are not the same thing okay so jobs uh, i mean let's say you know you were working for uh, uh, wisdom quick info at at a certain point of time that that was a job right now you don't work for anyone you work for anyone who gives you work uh, that is employment right so uh, as long as people are employed and gainfully employed and are getting paid reasonably for it i don't think it matters whether you know they have a job or not so i guess uh, so the debate should not be uh, that india is not creating enough jobs or india is creating enough jobs or whether india is creating enough jobs but the debate should be whether india is creating enough employment for the people who need it and is it me of course not i mean we are not uh, we are uh, nowhere near creating enough employment uh, as much as is needed so and we have 1 million people coming into the workforce every month like you pointed out that's 10 lakh people and nowhere near that amount of jobs are being created yes uh, i mean so one of the uh, you know recent estimates that uh, cmie center for monitoring indian economy came up with uh, was that in the year 2017 around 2 million uh, opportunities were created and nearly 11.5 million indians entered the workforce now we need to uh, sort of uh, also state here very very clearly that uh, india does not have very high employment very high unemployment sorry which is primarily because uh, of the fact that anyone who does not uh, you know get a job in india ultimately ends up in self employment so our unemployment rates are extremely low in fact uh, the international labor organization just came out with numbers and the rate of unemployment in india is something like 3.5% now which is uh, i mean then the next question to ask is you know why are we even uh, you know talking about all this if unemployment levels are so low so so is it your point like i've often heard it said that our problem isn't unemployment as much as underemployment right. so which is uh, you know our unemployment rates are low because everyone's doing something but the question is uh, whether that something is productive enough and uh, the answer is no and and uh, like recently i heard about some pn's job in um, delhi where there were like 20 vacancies and some 40000 people applied including hundreds of phd's and ma's and all of that and that i mean that points to dual problems i mean one of those problems of course is that a lot of the education system you've had credential uh, inflation in the sense it's it's uh, Uh, you know those degrees have kind of become meaningless uh, and people aren't really being trained for the workforce there is a mismatch between education and what the labor market um, wants. Uh, wants and yes. 
this is something you you know you and I have spoken about yes. in a previous so podcast. So basically, uh, uh, what is happening there is uh, twofold. One is uh, that you know all these MBAs and PhDs and graduates that we are producing, uh, a huge number of them are uh, simply unemployable. And the second thing is uh, that at lower levels, the government is a significantly better paymaster than the private sector. So there was this study carried out, uh, you know, by the seventh uh, pay commission, and this is these are 2013-14 numbers, and they figured out that, uh, you know, at the junior most level, you know, what what they call euphemistically called a helper, but basically meant a peon. Uh, the government salaries are at around twenty one, twenty two thousand rupees per month, whereas the private sector pays around anywhere from eight to nine thousand. So, which is why you get uh, so many people and so many qualified people uh, applying for all these uh, jobs. And and the job security also. Yeah, I mean job security. Then you know you obviously have this uh, huge fascination uh, for government jobs in India. Then I mean at any level you at least have this thought that uh, you'll make some other income as well. You know, beyond what you get uh, as your salary and so on and so forth. So, so Shruti, I want I want you to chime in here. Uh, my question to you is that uh, you, you know one of the points which Vivek pointed out, Modi was probably making is that hey, it's not my government's job to create jobs, which I I know all three of us would kind of. Uh, agree with while traditionally it's you know you'll have politicians taking credit for job creation and you'll have people criticizing this government or that government for not creating jobs but what government can't actually create jobs right so where do jobs come from the government doesn't have an obligation to create jobs and the government can't actually manufacture productivity it's quite the reverse usually when the government starts uh, releasing employment schemes and programs it's the opposite of productivity however the government does have an obligation uh, to create an environment that is conducive for private individuals to be able to find their optimal job and for skills to be matched to requirements uh, in a very you know fairly low transaction cost way within an economy so to that extent the government does have an obligation to create an environment that will then itself create jobs So what you'd mean by that is for example that the government would have to do things like maintain the rule of law enforce contracts and so on on the one hand while on the other hand getting out of the way of uh, uh, voluntary exchanges within society and not having too much of the license and regulation raj basically which acts as a dampener on uh, private enterprise and raises transaction costs sir one of the things that's happening in india is that as a country we have made it too costly to employ unskilled labor and when it's too costly then the skill level has to be higher that is to make it worthwhile to hire that particular labor and pay that wage or it has to come in terms of productivity it's a labor surplus country but manufacturers are reluctant to hire labor and employ other substitutes for labor now in the process the people have to do something uh so one is in many developed countries where there are unemployed benefits and so on and so forth you see these people reflected in unemployment figures as vivek pointed out that doesn't happen in india so these people get reflected or rather get hidden in self employment in culture or street vending or so on and so forth so what is happening in india is we see very little of the of the problem in terms of data points but we see the problem everywhere people are not that productive and people are not that rich 
and you know one of the things i've noticed in recent discourse is that especially after demonetization and gst is that the informal economy gets a bad name but the point i keep making is that the informal economy only exists because you made it so hard for the formal economy to function so all these people who can't get jobs in the formal economy because of these labor laws or and the variety of other regulations and all have no choice but to be part of the informal economy they're not there out of choice and a lot of these people who are self employed are not self employed in the glamorous way that i for example that vivek and me are where we are you know freelance columnists or or what but are self employed in the sense of say the pakora seller who don't have a choice that's that's pretty much all they can do to uh, survive yeah there are two aspects to the problem that you just pointed out the first is when the english speaking elite or the elite who are tweeting that there's really nothing wrong with what the prime minister said i mean they're right in the sense that factually there's nothing wrong with what the prime minister said but their priors about self employment are completely different from what is the reality on the ground for most of us like you mentioned especially you and vivek you are self employed out of choice that is your choice of being self employed is far superior to the alternatives of the kinds of jobs that you might get now what happens with the street vendors the exact opposite they would really like to get a job they would like the security of the job but they can't seem to find a job and they have to make a living so they are self employed as last resort and it is very difficult to be a street vendor in india i don't think given a choice most of these people would want to be self employed there's a secondary aspect to it normally when we think about entrepreneurs you would think oh so today he's selling pakoras as a street vendor now if he's really entrepreneurial tomorrow that pakora enterprise will become bigger maybe he'll go from a cart to a food truck maybe he'll go from a food truck to a restaurant now that is the conventional thinking about self employment and entrepreneurship when you look at the west that never happens in india when we say is it not jobs when a pakora seller makes 200 rupees a day let's be very clear there is no upward mobility there he is going to continue making 200 rupees a day it's never going to turn into a pakora shop it's never going to turn into one of those places where you know pakora store ac at the uh, you know first floor and non ac in the second floor that's not happening so the self employment also has a very very clear ceiling in terms of uh, future growth and productivity and opportunity So before I cut back to Vivek just break that down for me why can't he scale up like why can't the pakora stall become a pakora uh, chain The pakora is affordable at that price for a regular person who might also be self employed or trapped in a low productivity environment So if pakoras are selling at uh say uh, 50 rupees a plate or 30 rupees a plate then to make it at that price you can only do it on a street cart because it is just simply too costly to scale it up into any kind of formal establishment because formal establishments require all kinds of permits and licenses and health inspections and i mean there are different surveys done in different cities on how many gazillion uh, uh permits you need to open a small shop or a restaurant i'm not exactly aware what it is for an eatery in mumbai in the exact locality where you are but i would guess it's pretty high right so vivek let me sort of come back to you here uh you published um, 
a column on the day we are recording which is um, January uh, 24th yeah January 24th it's a wednesday the, you're listening to this on the next monday uh, or rather this was released on the next monday and you wrote this column uh, about pokoranomics uh, coining that most excellent term which i'm very fond of and you sort of broke down uh, prime minister modi's logic so right. can can i ask you to sort of go over your chain of thinking again sure sure so uh, you know first and foremost uh, i didn't come up with the example of pakoda mr modi did so that's a very important point but pakoda nomics is your coinage pakoda nomics was my coinage uh, also uh, you know we shouldn't be getting here into the unit economics of uh, how profitable it is to sell pakodas because you know we all know of some pakoda wala who made it big you know i was tweeting about this and one gentleman uh, sort of tweeted back that there was some pakoda wala in borivali which is uh, mumbai suburb uh, with you know who had to face a raid by the income tax department and i mean there are always exceptions like that but a pakoda wala essentially is a representation of a self employed individual who is trying to make money by selling some stuff on the streets okay and uh, we have too many people selling too many things on the streets of india i mean this is a point that we need to keep in mind now if you look at uh, the fact that uh, mr modi talked about the pakoda wala making rupees 200 per day that works out to around rupees 73000 a year the average per capita income in 2016 17 uh, of an average indian was around 1.03 lakhs so an average indian essentially made 41% more than mr modi's pakoda wala so there is a problem there i mean obviously someone's got to you know when we are talking averages someone will make lower than the average but you know 41% gap is a little too much uh then the second point that we need to keep in mind is that the pakoda wala uh you know unlike me would definitely not be single i mean he would have a i'm using you know i'm uh, i'm saying he because pakoda walas in india typically are men uh, would typically have a family now assuming you know the average indian household has five people now if this pakoda wala has uh, you know a wife and three children uh, then we are talking about uh, you know a per capita of around 14000 rupees per, per person per year which is not a huge thing so what we need to understand here is that uh, you know all these pakoda walas and and, and self employment guys are uh, essentially as uh, shruti said not there by choice but because they don't have a choice because there are no jobs uh, available or there are no jobs available for the skill set that they have uh, making pakodas hawking stuff on the street is very easy you need very little capital to start off now uh you know if you look at uh, you know there's, there's there's some very interesting data that gets put out by the labor bureau uh, you know uh, and and they they sort of uh, suggest that uh, close to half of india's uh, workforce is self employed i mean the exact percentage is 46.3 but uh, since we live in an era of you know hyping and overhyping things so you know i've rounded off 46 to 50%. Now half of India's workforce is self-employed which is too high a number anyway, right? If you look at their income brackets, uh, very very interesting, around 41% of these uh, uh, you know self-employed people make up to rupees 5000 rupees a month, which is up to rupees 60000 rupees a year. Around 67% make up to rupees 90000 a year. Only 4% 
मेक मोर देन टू लैख फोर्टी थाउजेंड एयर सो मोस्ट ऑफ दीज पकौड़ा वाला स्लैश सेल्फ एम्प्लॉयड पीपल डू नॉट इवन कम इन टू द इनकम टैक्स ब्रैकेट ओके सो द प्राइम मिनिस्टर ऑफ अ कंट्री सॉर्ट ऑफ यू नो सेलिंग दिस एज अ वोकेशन आई मीन दैट्स नॉट ऑन द अदर पॉइंट आई सॉर्ट ऑफ वॉन्टेड टू मेक हियर इज दैट so there's clearly a problem with being self employed now what is happening now is that self employment is sort of being mistaken or rather you know the propaganda is that self employment is entrepreneurship which it is not entrepreneurship and self employment are two very very different terms which we need to distinguish between an entrepreneur is always an entrepreneur by choice self employment may not be by may or may not be by choice so this is a very important uh, you know difference that uh, you know that needs to uh, come out also you know if you look at uh, you know the numbers of people uh, if you look at the income of people who are self employed uh, i mean as i said 41% of them make up to rupees 60000 a year that is way less than the average per capita income that's less than the pakora wala in fact yeah. of mr modi yeah. that's less than the pakora wala that so the the larger point here is that indians have been pakoda walas for a few decades now okay we have been self employed for a few decades now because we haven't got enough jobs enough employment opportunities enough viable employment opportunities going around so this is not a new idea i mean it's just like you know old wine in a new bottle which mr modi is uh, very good at so would it be correct to say that the pakora wala is not so much a solution as a symptom of the problem which mr modi is sort of ignoring and turning you, you have nailed it absolutely so you know amit and vivek just to jump in here i don't think in general it's a very productive idea to pick one sentence that the prime minister of a country says and then pick it apart the way we usually do on twitter but here i think it's really important to do it because it seems that the prime minister in this one sentence has uh, captured exactly how much we are missing the point uh, when it comes uh, to good economic reform uh, by pointing out the biggest symptom of the problem as an example of success in this case the pakoda wala who earns 200 rupees by being self employed because there's literally no other choice for him uh that i think is a is a bad idea coming from the leadership of the country which is in charge of economic reform and and that shows a mindset problem that shows that at some level uh you know our political class still hasn't figured out what the fundamental problem is i don't agree with that i think uh, they know very well what the problem is it's just that they can't do anything about it given the the number of structural reforms that are required and given the fact that we haven't had them for a while now uh so see every politician needs to uh, fight and win elections elections happen every 5 years if these structural reforms are to be initiated and if uh, you know we were to sort of wait for the results uh, it would be you know a decade decade and a half so the you know the politicians need to do something in between which is why i think uh, you know what this um, uh, you know the current dispensation is very good at is sort of uh, taking 
the attention of people away from the real problem i mean you know mr modi was elected on the plank of jobs employment and uh, you know economic development minimum uh, Minimum government, maximum governance. But all that's now fallen by the wayside. What we have is uh, Padmavat, which is basically Padmavati or Padmavat, whatever you might call it. I mean, from people who have seen the movie, I mean, they say it's a right-winger's wet dream. And But, you know, you look at the kind of protests that are happening against uh, the movie. Now, if, you know, if the right-wing... can protest and protest so successfully against what is a right winger's wet dream imagine the kind of nuisance they can keep creating against other uh, you know cultural and other uh, you know economic issues that keep propping up so the, so these are th- you know you basically want to take the attention away from the real problem so then you make statements like so this has been happening for a while so you know before uh, he made uh, this pakoda uh, statement he's also been talking about the fact as to how mudra loans are creating employment now an average mudra loan is around 23000 rupees so i don't know how that is creating employment but mr modi believes that you know every person who takes on a mudra loan hires two three more people and there's a multiplier effect there has been no study which is uh, uh shown this the ceo of uh, mudra has gone on record to say that we do not have any data on you know the number of jobs or employment opportunities that mudra loans have created so this has been happening for a while when you cannot deliver on what you have promised then you have to sort of create uh you know and say things which take away attention from the real issues uh, i would want to add one more thing to what vivek is saying I mean on I partially agree with him that a part of this whole pakoda uh, wala story is just uh, you know some part of it is just spin right to deviate from the real problem the first is what vivek pointed out as the underemployment which is masked as self employment but there's a second thing hidden in this number which we haven't talked about yet as vivek pointed out there's very low levels of unemployment in india Now what is unemployment unemployment is people who are looking for a job and can't find a job Now one of the things that the self employment story and this whole you know the fiasco over the pakoda wala tells us is in India people have stopped looking for jobs maybe because they know that it is that difficult for jobs to come by it's almost impossible to find one when you have 20000 applications for four vacancies for an office helper or something like that so then the alternative is just to go into self employment which is so, true which is true i'll just you know budge in here which is true i mean yeah. if you look at the cmi data which came out a while back uh, so they have uh, said that the labor force participation rate has come down so so you're right yeah so so his you know uh, applauding the 200 rupee pakoda wala while i think they need to be applauded for a completely different reason which is that they work in a hostile environment uh, but mr modi's reason for applauding the 200 rupee pakoda wala is really trying to mask both the reasons for the unemployment data point which is people might have just given up and the reason for the self employment data point which is just it is underemployment or you know you just need to eke out a living and look after your family and you have no other choice but to do something that seems uh, relevant uh, relatively obvious and easier than the alternative 
And Shruti, what you say about people giving up on getting a job is actually very poignant. You know, in an earlier episode, I was chatting with uh, J.P. Narayan about the state of Indian politics today, and he pointed out uh, that two of the qualities that uh, you know characterize um, the essence of the Indian voter are fatalism and tribalism, and it could even be argued that one leads to the other. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, but can you really blame the average Indian person? I mean, the three of us sitting. And recording this podcast are not the average Indian person. Absolutely. Can you really blame them for being fatalistic Absolutely. about I, I, their situation? I, I meant that as explanation, not condemnation at all. Uh, I mean, yeah, no, no, I understand that. I mean, things are just really, really difficult for the average young Indian male joining the job force. It's right. Real, it's really difficult. And uh, one part of that is, you know, what Vivek mentioned in terms of... Uh, uh, to hide that fact, you know, there's a lot of political drama over Padmavat and things like that. But the other fact is, these young men and women need to be uh, employed in some way. And when they can't get that, they find different ways to protest. And sometimes the most obvious thing that annoys you or offends you uh, is a great way to channel your energy because it's not like the economy allows them to channel their energy in a productive fashion. And in a sense, that makes Badmavat also a symptom of sorts. Like one of the things we're all agreed on and I've been writing about it for ages is that uh, uh, Narendra Modi has always been a man who cares more about optics than anything else. And perhaps with good reason because most people don't care about reality but about the narrative they're nurturing in their heads and optics plays directly to that. So he's always in campaigning mode even after 2014. He never exactly uh, got into governance mode uh, which is where I want to focus my next question that uh, you know, Vivek, the point you made uh, about, um, you know, they know what reforms have to be made, but they're not possible because of structural reasons, by which you mean, you know, what the political economy is like, and those changes are simply not possible, so therefore they just resort to optics, uh, thereby implying that the system is so, so sclerotic that things can never improve for the better. I mean... Can you elaborate on that to give me a sense of what it's like? For example, we all agree on certain labor laws which need to be changed. We all agree on certain, a whole bunch of regulations and licensing laws which, if they changed, would allow greater employment in the formal sector. But give me a sense of what are the sort of obstacles in their way which prevent that from happening. Okay. So I was, you know, recently uh, reading a column in the Business Standard written by uh, A.K. Bhattacharya. So Mr. Bhattacharya points out, uh, and I didn't know this, that there are 260 labor laws in the state of Jammu and Kashmir. And uh, I mean, I knew for a fact that there are around 200 uh, labor laws uh, all across India, you know, in state and uh, central labor laws. But uh, Jammu and Kashmir seems to have outdone all of that. And they have 260 labor laws. Now they're trying to, uh, so the state of JNK is trying to uh, sort of come up with some sort of a code which summarizes these laws. I mean, anyway, that's a different point. But the point is, you know, uh, every time uh, uh, governments have tried labor law reforms, I mean, and this includes uh, uh, Mr. Vajpayee who tried some reforms in uh, you know, in the early 2000s, there have been grave protests from labor unions. Now, labor unions in India, as you would know, are politically affiliated. And ultimately, uh, given the fact that they are politically affiliated and they are organized, they have a huge nuisance value. I mean, look at, uh, you know, uh, 
banks i mean the government of india owns 21 banks i mean why does the government need to own 21 banks some of these banks like uh, look at a bank like idbi uh, it has a bad loans ratio of 25% so why are we running these banks and wasting so much money but ultimately the point is the moment you know any government decides to sort of either privatize or even shut down any of these banks there will be a huge hangama because all these unions you know they're all very well organized and, and nobody wants to get into that look at uh, air india i mean we've been talking about privatization of air india for close to a year now but still nothing has you know nothing concrete has happened i mean they've done you know they've said they, uh, that uh, you know we'll sell the company and the employees will be protected and but then you know you need to uh, if they were serious about selling air india you know by now we would have known as to what are the terms and conditions uh, which come attached with it i mean does the buyer take on the debt of the company what happens to the employees uh, can the employees be fired so on and so forth but that has not happened so but essentially you know no i think the the but the, is that a lack of will on their part or the friction in the system i mean both it's both and it's also i think um So as Vivek pointed out the unions are a huge nuisance value and I want to add to that that the other group that is a huge nuisance value so you know just uh, off tangent for a minute in standard public choice theory we call this the transitional gains trap which basically means that everyone most people agree or everyone agrees that moving from system 1 to system 2 is beneficial but when you move or transition from system 1 to system 2 there are some winners and losers and if the losers manage to organize themselves very well then they can actually prevent the transition from system 1 to system 2 which would benefit everybody largely so now what you need to think about is like vivek pointed out the example of the labor unions we need to figure out who are these groups who are the winners and losers for each of these categories of regulation or licensing and it's pretty difficult but i think we can summarize it in two big groups the first is of course labor unions which is the you know extremely formal well protected uh, fraction of the economy compared to this huge part which is completely vulnerable in the informal sector the other is the bureaucrats now if we get rid of all the stupid licensing requirements then how are they going to make the rents that they wish to make or their entire reason for getting into a particular kind of job to get those rents will be defeated so you actually when vivek says structural problems it's not just frictions from outside it's also frictions from within a very large part of the government which is the bureaucracy which never really goes away you know legislators are elected every 5 years the bureaucracy is just there forever um they are extremely well organized and it is very difficult to do things that are not in their interest so it's very difficult to change things now having said that i want to defend uh, the prime minister here a little bit and i also want to zero in on where i place the blame i want to defend the prime minister in the following fashion the mess is really too large for one person at the top or a small group of legislators at the center to do anything about it now labor laws are concurrent list you can legislate at the center or the state there's nothing that prevents states from adding amendments which many states have to improve the mess that is the labor law in their particular environment so we are not seeing any leadership at the state level either which 
we could have i mean nothing precludes the leadership at the state level from doing something uh that uh, something different from what the center is suggesting so the first is you know there is a lot of regulation at the corporator level at the state bureaucracy level at the state legislation level which i think it's a little unfair and difficult to pin the blame on the prime minister not just this one but any prime minister now having said that where do i think we can uh, impose some responsibility if not blame on the prime minister i think the the leadership has to set out the ideas and the agenda at the top and that is something that we find missing uh the spin story of saying pakoda walas are doing just fine and it's a sign of the indian economy doing well sets a very poor example the example needs to be that what can the government at the union level do to help governments at the state level untangle the regulatory mess and make it easier or have a more conducive environment for jobs that is completely missing from the current leadership so on that aspect i do think that the union leadership can do the lot and they're really not doing anything they're just deviating from the matter spinning stories traveling here and there talking about all sorts of irrelevant nonsense but shruti to to sort of uh, go back to the question of the prime minister's vision and concurrent lists and so on the fact of the matter is that mr modi boasted recently about how the bjp today rules more states than indira gandhi did you know the bjp is in power at the center and at many of the states i mean take gujarat alone for example if he really had uh, the the will uh, to make these changes and the conviction that they were necessary surely he would have made more progress than he had and i'm uh, you know i totally understand that there's a lot of friction within the system both from inside the government in terms of the bureaucrat bureaucratic structures and from outside in terms of unions and so on but at the same time uh, my sense is that the current political leadership and every single political leadership before it in the history of independent india is simply doesn't understand what needs to be done uh, i'm not so well yes and no to your question yes in the sense that i do think the current leadership and previous leaderships have been extremely lacking no in the sense that i do think as civil society in india we need to start blaming more responsibility on different tiers of government and different individuals as opposed to focusing all our attention at one tier of government and one man or woman so i think that is one area where i might disagree that's the reason i jumped to the prime minister's defense not because of what's going on is Absolutely, amazing yeah. it's quite dismal but i think we need to make state uh you know chief ministers we need to make local corporators we need to name these people impose blame and responsibility on them yeah, but and my, actually hold them accountable but, right so but, that is my limited point but my point is the uh, bjp is in power practically everywhere 18 states if i'm not now. mistaken plus the center so what is the philosophy of the party on all these issues what are its positions not only are they not clearly articulated the only articulations we get are populist articulations uh, which are good for optical reasons but not only are these kind of reforms not articulated as something that is necessary that across the board in most places there's no effort to actually do anything but anyway i mean leave, leave, leaving that aside it's a no, longer discussion sense, okay, for another day it's, it's a longer, a longer discussion. discussion but in one sense i don't think that is a problem or a malady that is bjp centric or unique absolutely it's the same malady no matter which party and when you ask what is their goal or agenda 
it's the same as every party so, which is I could, the most you know, I can, I guess I'll summarize states. that. So basically, I keep this is something I keep writing on that, writing that India has only one model of governance, and which is the Congress model of governance. So which is as long true, as I mean, we, you know, yeah. keep following that model of governance, you cannot get different results by doing the same thing. I mean, over and Narendra over Modi is in power because of all the misgovernance of the last six and a half decades, and the okay. fact of the matter is that every political party in India is pretty much left of center when it comes to economics and doesn't believe in social freedoms. So it's it's like for a libertarian like me, that's the worst of both worlds. Yeah, uh, and in one sense, I think uh, Mr. Modi's government is uh, the the most close analogy I can find is Mrs. Gandhi's government. Absolutely, which is a high degree of centralization of power, a high degree of suppression of economic freedom. Except that is the uh, the line that uh, Mrs. Gandhi fully bought into. I think with Mr. Modi's current situation, there is a little bit of a spin. They seem to suggest that they want economic liberalization, but there is still suppression of economic freedom, and they both suppress social freedom in completely different ways, right? Um, uh, in in Mr. Modi's case, what is happening right now in the country and the protests? Uh, like I just saw a horrific video of kids in a school bus being targeted by by some foul group or the other, and Mrs. Gandhi did it in completely different ways. She also hurt. Minorities and you know step forcible sterilizations and all sorts of horror. So I I mean I don't think this is a BJP centric problem. I think this is a Indian governance model. Uh, I think it's a design flaw. Like uh, you know Vivek pointed out that we have one model of governance which is Congress, centralized power, hold it right at the top, and uh, you know that's that's not really. when we think about the structural reform that is required in the various sectors we're talking about occupational licensing labor reform industrial reform i don't think you're going to get that in that model it's highly unlikely you know uh, shruti you would have made for a very bad journalist simply because what you know it took you so many words to basically uh, what you basically meant was nar indra modi you know so <laughs> <laughs> yeah see i would have made a bad journalist but i am a professor who needs to yeah. fill up 100 minutes of class time so you need to be verbal so yes uh, kind of now um, microscoping down and moving from the sort of the large issue that we've been talking about and uh coming back to jobs and and this is something again vivek you and i have discussed on a previous podcast we had a podcast just on jobs and uh, uh given that mr modi is focusing more on optics with you know all these uh, fancy images of pakora wala earning 200 a day being uh, being what he's selling um you know uh, are you optimistic uh, uh, or pessimistic about what's going to happen in the near future where is the ray of hope i am extremely pessimistic i in fact earlier in the day um, i just wrote a piece which i headlined uh, india has uh, lost its bus out of poverty okay so mm-hmm. i am extremely pessimistic so uh, i am very pessimistic about the government and what the government can do to improve our lot in life i am very optimistic about uh, individual creativity and entrepreneurship and ingenuity and amit you and i have had this conversation many times over you even call it uh, the million mutinies after uh, mr naipaul uh, actually it's a mutual friend barun mitra's uh, you know invoked that naipaul term in in this context to million mutinies oh, now so credit to barun yeah so 
the fantastic Barun. I mean, Barun is amazing. Well, everybody should follow Barun Mitra on Twitter and in life. He is fantastic. Uh, but I think uh, that is what I'm optimistic about. I'm still very optimistic about the average Indian. I mean, look at Indians. They survived a disaster like demonetization. Because Indians are fundamentally uh, intelligent, entrepreneurial, try and find a way uh, to get by despite all the oppression of the state. And once in a way, while they are just getting by and just sort of surviving, you see the incredible idea, you see the incredible entrepreneurship, uh, you see the next hero so that i'm very optimistic i mean about, the flip side the of indian people the, the flip side of that might well be that they survive just by being fatalistic not not necessarily optimistic you know what um fatalism you know what is like our optimism you know so no but what i like about india is you know like uh, mrs joan robinson said that anything you say about india the opposite is also true so if there is a very large group which is fatalistic then there's a very large group that is uh, entrepreneurial and clever and ingenious and will come out of it also. So we're a large enough group of people that we're talking about that I think that we can easily find the million mutinies that, we, that we're looking for. On that marvelously optimistic or pessimistic uh, note, whichever way you look at it, for we contain multitudes, I'll thank you both for coming on the show where we agreed and disagreed so much because everything happened. And uh, it's it's always a pleasure talking to both of you guys. And I hope we can continue to do so in future after Mr. Modi listens to this particular episode. Thanks, Amit. Hi, thanks, Amit. Uh, I mean, for inviting me when I pretty much just sort of elbowed my way into this conversation. <laughs> And uh, I wanted to make two plugs. One, when you talked about Indian colors, uh, you guys can't see it because I'm not in the studio. I'm actually wearing a Harain Vakil scarf with the, the jazz player. And wow. uh, the other plug that everybody should read, Vivek's book. It's marvelous. Absolutely. So Vivek's book, Give Big Government and Why It's Hurting You and IndianColors.com, Colors with an OU. Thank you, guys. If you enjoyed listening to the show, you can follow Shruti on Twitter at S Rajgopalan. You can follow Vivek on Twitter at call underscore Vivek. You can follow me at Amit Verma, A-M-I-T-V-A-R-M-A. If you want to listen to more great podcasts from India, check out IVM Podcasts. Just download their app, like them on Facebook or Twitter, and you'll find many more great shows. For archives of The Scene and the Unseen, please head on over to sceneunseen.in. I've done plenty of episodes with both Vivek and Shruti, though never together before this. So do check those out. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed listening to The Scene and the Unseen, it makes complete sense for you to check out the Pragati podcast a show on public policy. Pragati is a magazine I edit and the Pragati podcast is hosted by two of my colleagues, Pavan Srinath and Hamsini Hariharan. Every week, Pavan and Hamsini analyze views and news from India and the world and talk to experts and practitioners on a wide range of issues. Episodes out every Thursday. So there's your midweek fix right there. As you can see, we have a podcast listener in his natural habitat. Millions of years of evolution have led him to this point. He's on his way to work and listening to podcasts makes his miserable day better. He will now head to work and use all his knowledge to communicate with other colleagues and possibly future mates. 
you can find more of his species on ivmpodcasts.com your one stop destination where you can check out all the coolest indian podcasts happy listening